everybody. Welcome back to Looking for the Real God. This is Christy Lynn Wood. Today we're going to continue our little journey through missing theological building blocks, and we're going to talk about the kingdom. What is the kingdom of God, and what happens if we're missing it? guys are enjoying these theological building blocks as much as I am. I think it's just been really fun to think about what are some things that really just are missing in our understanding of Christianity and maybe even contributing to some of the disasters we see amongst Christianity right now. And how do we just put these back into our foundation of our understanding of God and the Bible and theology? So today we're going to talk about the kingdom of God. And this is a concept, an idea that Jesus talked about all the time in the Gospels. He was always referring to this kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And as I did some researching, most scholars agree that kingdom of heaven and kingdom of God are kind of synonymous. And so I did this little search, what is the kingdom of God? And it's interesting to see the definitions that people give it. The Encyclopedia Britannica says that the kingdom of God is the spiritual realm over which God rules, or it's the fulfillment on earth of God's will. I thought that was kind of interesting. The Gospel Coalition puts it out in like eight words. They say God's reign through God's people over God's place. Okay. I liked what the gotquestions.com said. (laughs) They said broadly, The kingdom of God is the rule of a sovereign God over all the universe. But narrowly, it is the spiritual rule over hearts and lives of those who willingly submit to God's authority. So I feel like these are kind of big concepts and maybe a little bit hard to understand. And yet at the same time, they all talk about God ruling over something. And obviously with the kingdom, you would think that there's a king or ruler. And God is ruling over something. So what does that really look like as people and why does it matter? When I think of the kingdom of God, I kind of think of an alternate dimension or an alternate reality. And to me, it's almost like this idea that those of us who have trusted in Jesus as our Savior and now have been filled with the Holy Spirit, we understand this new reality. We're not just sucked into this world. We understand there's more than what we can see with our eyes and experience with our senses. We know that there's a different reality out there. And so I think there's almost this idea of like this alternate dimension. I like that idea because I feel like we get this new reality, but it's not just about these things in this physical world. The kingdom of God tends to be backwards and inside out and upside down. and doesn't always make sense. When Jesus talked about it, he would use words like the last are first and the first are last. In, in Corinthians, Paul talks about how God uses the weak things, and he uses the things that are nothing, and he uses the, the, the powerless. And I love that because it's almost like this idea that it's not about power, it's not about fame, it's not about money, it's not about all these things that we think of as a kingdom. It's backwards. So earthly kingdoms, we have these kings, they've got power, they've got money, they've got fame, they've got They can do anything they want. And yet in the kingdom of God, it tends to be backwards. And it's not about power, money, fame, 
and that kind of stuff. It's about this this humility and the serving and and God using things that everyone's like, wait, what? Which once again, overarching themes of scripture. We keep talking about this in our theological building blocks. Um, proof texting, which I'm just gonna make a little side note right now. This idea of a proof text means I say something and I back it up with one verse. Now, the problem with that is that you can make the Bible say just about anything with only one verse. I know because the cultic leader of our organization was so good at this. You would go to his basic or advanced seminars and he would sit there with his big red notebook and he would be wildly filling in blanks while he flipped through things on an overhead projector. Remember those? (laughs) Dating myself here. And you would just be wildly filling in blanks. And after every statement, there would be a reference, like a verse reference. And if you looked it up, you could be like, oh, okay, I kind of see where that makes sense. So maybe he's saying that's why this is true. Problem with that being, when I was 18 and I had graduated from high school, I started doing this online course through our organization. And two of my classes, I had to go through his basic and advanced seminars step by step and kind of back them up with scripture. But I couldn't. It, not everything lined up. I couldn't find verses that actually meant what it looked like they meant because as I read the verses around them, I was like, wait, this doesn't, this isn't right. However, I had deadlines and I had, you know, due dates. And so I just started looking up things in my strongest concordance, finding verses that you could piece here and there. Didn't really mean it, didn't really matter. But as I sent them into my instructor, I never was criticized. I was never told I couldn't do that. And it just started the whole ball rolling of thinking, I think all this is bunk. I think this is complete hogwash because if I can't find this in the scriptures for real, then um, hello, maybe it's not really true. And so that's the problem with proof texting. When you just say, here's my verse to prove this, that verse could be completely taken out of context within the surrounding verses, within the chapters. And so when I look at this theological building blocks, I want to look at overarching themes in scriptures where I can see these themes throughout the Bible, not just in one verse pulled out of context. Okay, end of side note, back to the kingdom. So when you look at overarching themes in scriptures, we see all throughout the Bible that God uses small things to do amazing things for his glory. He picks people that are not supposed to be picked. He picks barren women to have children. Over and over again, he picks barren women from Sarah in the Old Testament to Elizabeth, the mother of John the Baptist in the New Testament, constantly doing things like that. He's always picking small, insignificant people. Think about the story of Gideon. Gideon is hiding. He's fearful. God picks him anyway. He trims down his army to only 300 men, and they use, he uses those men to just completely vanquish the enemy. God does this over and over again. He picks people who are weak. Moses. Moses can't even hardly talk. God picks him anyway. Over and over again, God picks weak, insignificant people to do powerful things. And so that is not a new concept in the New Testament when Jesus talks about his kingdom being made up of weak and people who are just unable to do things. Not, Not unusual concept. Okay, why does this matter? Why does it matter for us to understand that the kingdom that we are a part of and the kingdom that we are working towards and fighting for is not the kingdom of this world? that it's different, that it's backwards, inside out, upside down. Why does that matter? Because if we don't get that, we screw things up. And I see that in two specific ways right now in our culture. I see that through Christian celebrityism, where we're just worshiping people. And I see that through Christian nationalism. What are those two things and why do they matter? I'm going to go ahead and go there a little bit. Christian celebrity culture 
is everywhere right now. You're going to see it on social media. You're going to see it in the publishing industry. You're going to see it in who gets the gigs. And then you're going to see it in the people that fall. We have had so many popular, well-known pastors and Christian teachers that have fallen lately. They've been exposed for either sexual stuff or just money laundering stuff or having an atmosphere in their building of just abuse. I mean, you can just look it up and it's just devastating. It's devastating. Or you have people who have just walked away from the faith that were celebrity Christians. How does this happen? I don't know all the details, but I do know that within the Christian publishing industry and probably within the Christian music industry and even just the Christian industry in general, there's a lot of Christian industry out there. There is this push to be awesome. So I've been trying to write a book for what, seven years now, eight years. And in order to even get an audience with a publishing industry, they want you to be, they have followers, like tons of followers. And so they reward people based on their celebrityism. If you are out there and trying to be awesome and putting yourself out there on all the different social media accounts and you have beautiful pictures on your Instagram and you say witty things on Twitter and you can gather this following of people, then we will publish your book. Well, that's a problem because there are a lot of people out there who are wise, who have insightful things into understanding who God is, understanding who he wants us to be, who are going to just push back at that celebrity culture. They don't want to be awesome. But you know who does want to be awesome? It's the narcissists. It's people who are mentally ill. There's just this thing about them who want, they think they're awesome already and they want to be awesome and they'll tell you how awesome they are, but they don't create a culture of humility and love and understanding within whatever organization they create. There are some amazing books out there about spiritual abuse, about narcissism in the churches. And we've seen recently with Robbie Zacharias, Carl Lentz, people who have fallen from their celebrity place because of the sin that's in their lives, because they are loving money, fame, power, sex, instead of loving Jesus. That's not okay. It's not okay as a Christian community and a culture for us to be idolizing these people and for us to be pushing people to become celebrities in order to get their words heard and for us to only be hearing words from people who are celebrities. I feel like that is a serious problem. Not just because I'm against it because I'm trying to write a book and I don't want to be awesome. That's a whole other story. But when we're only idolizing the words of people who are saying, hey, look at me, I'm so great. We need to be thinking about that. I mean, Jesus would have been a publisher's worst nightmare. He only ever chased crowds away. He said ridiculous stuff every time that people were like, oh, we love you. Be our king. He was like, nope. And he just said something ridiculous. And everyone was like, yeah, never mind. He did not seek the people who were famous and had power and money. He instead hung out with the lowly, the sinners, the rejects. And he was not about making a name for himself. He was totally fine with being obscure, unknown, unloved. And they killed him. And yet he changed the world. And he was God, by the way. So just a thought there. Broken people don't always know the things. So I feel like we're building this kingdom within the Christian community that is not the kingdom of Jesus. It's the kingdom of people. And we elevate people to a place they should never be elevated to. And we idolize them and we give them power and we give them our 
following, our adoration, our worship sometimes. And and they fall because they're broken people. And it's not it doesn't work that way. We can't build this kingdom here on earth for ourselves. It's just it's gonna fall apart. If it's based on our own power, fame, money, all that kind of stuff, it's going to fall apart. So that's the first place I see a huge issue and we don't understand which kingdom we're actually trying to be a part of. It's not the kingdom of this world. It's not the kingdom of celebrity Christian culture. Okay, the other thing that I'm really noticing a problem with right now is this Christian nationalism. And that's kind of a buzzword and people tend to, I don't know, I don't know that they really get it, what it is or why it's a problem. But I lived Christian nationalism as um, a teenager and young adult in my Christian cult. I didn't know it was Christian nationalism at the time, but looking back on it, it totally was. So what is Christian nationalism? Well, it's this idea that the United States is God's special country and we need to restore it to this place of Christian nation, basically. It's based on a bunch of lies and a bunch of half-truths, and it's not actually at all theologically accurate, and yet you wouldn't believe how many people believe this right now. But they believe that God chose America special, that it's greater than the other nations in the world, and it's our job as believers to restore it to this place of being a Christian nation. And we totally believed that growing up in the cult. We thought that it was our job to restore moralism, to get involved in politics, and try to make this country a moral place again, follow the biblical rules of the Bible. And we were against certain things, and we were for certain things based on these beliefs. It came from this twisted idea. There's two different, well, there's probably lots of different theological interpretations, but there's two main ones. There's dispensational theology and there's covenant theology. And both of them have their issues because they're made by people and they're not totally perfect because we're not perfect and we don't get God. So, but they have their pros and their cons. Dispensational theology is this idea that each dispensation or era of time is different. And so you move through these different dispensations of time, history of the world, and each one is different. The big thing that dispensational theology and covenant theology have that doesn't agree is their understanding of the nation of Israel and the church. Dispensational theology thinks that the church and Israel are very two different identities. They're not the same at all. Israel is still going to be a part of God's end of the world plan, and the church is just this intermediate dispensation, basically. Covenant theology thinks that the church is now God's Israel. So they kind of mush them together. So when you're reading the Old Testament as a dispensationalist and you read about Israel, you understand that that's about Israel. So prophecies about Israel are about Israel and you don't mix them up with the church. However, if you're reading it from a covenant theologist standpoint, it's very easy for us to say, okay, Israel and the church are the same thing. And they kind of read prophecies and they can take them to mean things for the church and stuff like that. So it gets even worse when you confuse the church with um, America. And that's where it happens. People think that, okay, Israel was God's nation, but now the church is God's nation. And somehow America is God's nation now, which is totally not accurate, but it's there. And it's it's there in the world right now. It's there in America. It's there in the church. And so somehow they get this confused that Israel, now the church, now America thing. And they'll use verses from the Old Testament that were specifically designed for the nation of Israel as America. I mean, you've heard this. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray, I'll restore their land. Okay, that's a paraphrase. But that gets quoted all the time about America. If you will 
humble yourselves and pray, then God is going to restore this country to its place as a Christian nation. I just don't agree with that. I think it's a terrible way to read the Bible. And I think it's elevating this one country over all the other countries in the world. And so that is a big issue. People are fighting right now for a kingdom that doesn't actually exist. People are fighting for this Christian America that doesn't actually exist. And I have a blog post about this. If you would like to read more, um, there's a couple other resources that you can find that would be excellent if you're a little confused. But this is why it's important to understand what kingdom we're a part of. We are part of this crazy kingdom of Jesus, this kingdom of God that's spiritual and we see truths differently. It's backwards, inside up, upside down. And we're heading for this ultimate goal someday when he comes and restores the world and we get to live with him in paradise forever. But our kingdom is not this world. Jesus' kingdom was not this world. It's a spiritual kingdom. And so when we understand that, when we understand the power of humility and brokenness and love of others versus this love of fame and power and money, it just opens our eyes to a whole new perspective. I obviously keep talking about this for a long time because it's already been like 17 minutes, 18 minutes here on my on my thing as I'm recording it. Like, wow. But this is super important for us to understand what kingdom we're a part of, that it's not the kingdom of this world, that it's not the kingdom of Christian culture, that it's not the kingdom of making America a Christian nation again, that we are a part of a backwards, inside out, upside down kingdom of Jesus Christ. And it's not going to make sense. And God is always going to be like that because it points back to him and not to us. So I hope that made sense. I'd love to have you guys reach out to me. Like I said, read that blog post if you want more information about Christian nationalism. There's some really great resources out there and just trying to explain what this is and what it isn't. So until next time, guys, keep searching. If you enjoyed this podcast, I would love to have you join me over on my website at christylynnwood.com. For more content, free resources, and opportunities to connect with a community of people who are looking for the real God.